Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Laura Checkley. And I'm Hannah Chiswick. And we are here, of course, to celebrate all things working class, because if we don't, who, who the, the bloody, bloody hell, hell will? will. <laughs> you hate that bit. Hate it. As always, we sit down with a working class hero to celebrate their life and achievements and discuss just how they got to where they are today. On that note, who are we celebrating this week, Laura? Right, so I'm proper chuffed to introduce this week's guest, not only because he is, in my opinion, the Don of the comedy world, but also because I thought we'd never actually get him on here because he is quite literally the busiest man in showbiz. I mean, it's taken some bribery and some onset sickly sweet talking, but I got him here and you are welcome. Uh, this week's guest does it all. He is a comedian, presenter, writer, actor and producer. He burst onto the comedy scene in 2013, winning the prestigious Best Newcomer Award at the Edinburgh Festival. And since then, he's gone from strength to strength. With his stand-up tours selling out all over the country and a regular face on all major TV and panel shows, he is quickly becoming, and he's going to cringe so hard when I say this, a national treasure. You're known best from hit TV shows such as A League of Their Own, Rob and Romesh V... Just Another Immigrant, Taskmaster, The Misadventures of Ramesh, Judge Ramesh, and of course the hilarious hit show, The Ranganation, which, hello, is fresh from a bloody BAFTA win at this year's BAFTAs. Woohoo! Amazing. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. This is horrible. <laughs> Isn't it? It's actually like some sort of torture. Not only a comedian, but he's a bloody good actor too, starring in The Reluctant Landlord, Yonderland, Josh, and King Gary, to name but a few. I hear King Gary's an absolute hoot. <laughs> sure. Not content with all that, he's even penned his own autobiography straight out of Crawley and he's now running his own production company, Ranga B. Is there nothing he can't do? No. Most importantly, though, he is a top bloke and one of the nicest guys I've ever had the pleasure of working with, and I really mean that. Listeners, with a smile that could melt dry ice, give it up for my pal, Ramesh Ranga Nathan. <laughs> Wow, thank you wow. very much. Do you know what? I wrote that at half five this morning on the train from Glasgow. <laughs> That's really nice, thank you. No, but you. seriously, congratulations on the BAFTA. Oh, thanks very much, cheers. Where yeah. have you put it? Well, it's in a. Uh, we're moving house, so it's in, a, right. uh, it's in a pile of stuff at the moment. But I'm debating just giving it to my mum, because I, I don't think... Because um, obviously she's much more excited about it than I am. Yeah. Obviously I am excited about it, but my mum, like, yeah. she loves all that. When I spoke to her after after the win... 
She's just going to be, oh my God, Ramesh, I'm just walking on air. I can't believe this is our life now. And like, she's so like, um, so I think I'll probably give it to her because I don't, I don't feel like uh, there is a place that you can put it in your house that doesn't make you look like a wanker, really. Do you know what I mean? So I, I kind of think I'll end up putting it in a cupboard, whereas my mum will put it, will put it out else. somewhere. Do you know what I mean? It'd be I nice think I'd, I'd, I mean, it's never going to happen, but I'd, I think I'd use it as a doorstop. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one, I think. I think that's yeah. a brilliant one. In the one. toilet, You wouldn't want to stub your toe on that, though, would you? No. Toilet got, is a classic. Yeah, toilet is a, is a classic. So I, I, I think I'll just give it to her. By way of a birthday present, I want to save you a gift. Yeah, <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually very, very heavy. Because I, 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 you, you just take the one away that they give you on the night. Yeah. And um, I remember thinking, because I got really smashed afterwards. Of course. And, um, and then I remember thinking, this could be the thing that, I end up killing someone with after. Like, like if somebody came up to me in the street, said, you don't deserve that. Okay, you want it, mate. You're going to get it. It's so heavy. It's a proper like murder weapon. Do you think there's any, because something we always talk about on this podcast as well, but do you think there's, do you have any imposter syndrome still uh, uh, hanging that, about? Like, do you walk in that room and think, yeah, this is my, this is where I belong? Or do you still think, what am I doing here? No, I, f- I think, you know, like when you were talking about the different stuff I've done, the reason that I I work on as many things as I do is because imposter syndrome is like my biggest driver. You know, <laughs> I, I, I just don't, I don't ever feel like, I think we all feel like this is not unique to me, but no. I just don't feel like I'm inside. I don't ever think there's a moment, I don't think anyone has this, I don't think there's ever a moment where you feel like you've made it or you're settled or whatever. And like, you know, I constantly live in the fear of all of it going away. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. you know, my agent sometimes says to me, you've got to enjoy things a bit more sometimes because, like, you do something and then you're looking at the next thing or you're worried about this thing going away and blah, blah. And then you think to yourself, why the fuck am I doing this if mm. I'm going to make myself, willfully make myself miserable about it the whole time? Do you know what I mean? It's just not, it's not the right thing to do. So actually, to be honest with you, relatively recently, I've managed to get to a place where I just think, do you know what? If it does go away, it goes away. Like, who, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, I, 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 it doesn't change who I am. It doesn't. It doesn't make me less happy. It doesn't take away what's happened up to this point. I think it's just you have to settle with that. But it's, it's easier said than done. That is, to be honest. So we normally start a podcast uh, by asking people to, I guess, to take us back to somewhere that like reminds them of their working class past. Like, where would you take us if you wanted to take us somewhere that makes you think of that? Well, I, um, I had like a really massive change in circumstances. Like, I, I kind of, I've had the, like a working class upbringing, but it didn't start like that. Do you know what I mean? It was right. sort of like when you're a child of immigration or like, you know, my parents came over from Sri Lanka and my mum came from a tiny village and blah, 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 and, and my dad's similar. And then it's quite fluid where you're going to, you know, where yeah. you're going to be class-wise when you arrive in this country. And the truth is, I was all set up for, like, a very relaxed middle-class upbringing. Do you know what I mean? My dad, my dad had got himself a good job. And, um, and, like, we were, you know, we were living in a nice house. And then suddenly, when we were very young, it all went wrong for my dad. And it, it, he ended up in prison. And, and we ended up moving very, very quickly in, in the course of, like, six months my mum, my mum, my brother and I were en- ended up living like a in a bed and breakfast, basically, right? right? So, so we were all staying in the same room, and that was obviously like it was obviously like defining as a kid. It was like such a outlook, personality defining experience going through that. And so then, what happens is weirdly, you cling on to like these things that provide you a bit of warmth and a bit of relative normality, you cling on to them so, so hard. Yeah. And I remember, like, we were living on this estate in Broadfield in Crawley, 
just as we'd like, we'd, we'd got out of the bed and breakfast. We were living in a flat for a bit and then we got our first house in Broadfield. Which Did is you get of, housed by the council? Yeah, so they, like, yeah. They, they put us in a bed and breakfast. Yeah, because that's where you go before you get exactly. housed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they put us in a bed and breakfast. Then we went to a flat and then we got to a house. And getting to the house felt like unbelievable. Like yeah. I, I just didn't feel like we were ever going to be in a house ever again. Do you know what mm. I mean? It just feels like a house felt like so mad. And I remember we moved into that house and we couldn't afford carpets for ages. So I didn't mm. ever invite mates around because yep. it was just all floorboards, right? And then I remember once a mate coming around and I remember thinking, um, I hope, I'm just not going to mention the carpet thing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And like, hopefully he'll think it's like a style decision or do you know what I mean? It's actually quite, it's actually quite artsy. I mean, like he didn't say anything. But then I remember going back to school the next week and everybody was talking about how I didn't have any carpets in my house. Yeah. But anyway, that is a very waffly way to get into the reason that I feel so warm about the thing I'm going to describe, which is basically under the subways by one of the roundabouts in Broadfield, right? Mm. Is that I made mates in that area and like we used to head off and go like all the, there's loads of roundabouts where in that, in that estate and underneath there'd be subways and, and basically under those subways where they met under the roundabouts would be like a gathering place. Like yeah. kids would just like go hang out there yeah. and I'd hang out there, drink, uh, smoke cigarettes, like get hammered. And just so many of my favorite memories as a kid are of being under a roundabout. It's so, it's so mad, but it's just like, I used to, I found like, first of all, my home life was chaos. And so, I was able to not talk about that when I was with my mates yeah. and I'd go and I'd go mm -hmm. and knock about with them and they wouldn't ever ask any, they didn't know like what was going on with, and, and they were all going for their own shit that they didn't talk yeah. about. Do yeah. you know what I mean? So, and it was just like, I used to leave the house first thing in the morning and just go and knock about with them all day. And like, so those, and we'd go to different roundabouts depending on how the mood took us. But, what but like, the, what's the best roundabout? What's, what well, the best roundabout here? is just, is the one nearest, I think it's the one nearest uh, Broadfield Stadium, which is where Crawley Town Football Club play now. But why? Because it's got a bit of greenery around. It's sort you actually, of, do you actually sit on the roundabout? No, you sort of say, <laughs> so you got, so you got the roundabout, and then it's the, the underpass. Yeah, the underpass, yeah, the and they all underpass. meet, and there's just like little sort of. Like the, Middle it's like bits. when you go yeah. through the subway, it's like when you, the that's doors the bit, first that's open the bit I go, I'm Park. not going under there. I walk the long <laughs> yeah. way around. Thank you. <laughs> I'll go the long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I used to love just, we just used to go and knock about there. And actually I think I, I sometimes think about like, cause I've got kids now. I think about my mum, if she knew that oh, I was going no. and doing that, she'd be absolutely horrified. Right. And then I think, and then then now I'm a parent, I start freaking out about what my kids, what are my kids going to do that I won't know about, that I'd be absolutely horrified about, do you know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah. I think about that all the time, because don't you think as a parent you sort of feel like you're going to somehow avoid that bit? Yeah. You think, well, my child won't do that, I they know. will, and of course they will, yeah. like, and let's hope they do, because otherwise they'd be really boring, and you know, they've got yeah. to do something, but you do somehow think you're going to avoid that bit of parenting in the, like... It was It was a weird thing for me to sort of reconcile, was that, like, you want your kids, you want your kids to be very, very happy. Yeah. But but that doesn't mean you isolate them from all experiences. Do you exactly. know what I mean? And so I think it's you have to just sort of accept that. And my kids are gonna get up to some shit, right? All kids get get up to some shit. And you just gotta hope that you've given them enough kind of enough of a foundation that they'll make the right decisions when, when those things happen. See, this is why I can't have kids. I ne would never <laughs> fucking sleep again. I've just got a puppy, right? And right. I'm so... He's tiny and I'm paranoid he's going to leap off of our balcony on the fourth floor and just splatter on the fucking concrete below. Yeah. He won't. 
he can't even get up on the sofa. But I have had dreams and nightmares about him doing that. That's all I did. And so I mate, think, God, having kids, mate, I couldn't. I, I had exactly the same experience. Like, you know that paranoia about mm. hot water being near my kids, right? Like, as in a kettle. kettle. Like boiling, right. yeah, yeah. My brother was burnt when he was a kid. Right, right? Like, so, go, so, yeah. so that's where we, we don't need, I don't need to spend money on therapy <laughs> to understand where, what the origins of that yeah. were, yeah. <laughs> But like, but ne- but whenever Lisa was, Lisa has about, I would say, twelve to fifteen cups of tea an hour, right? And so, <laughs> so she's, so when we, when th- our eldest was like a little baby, every time she's making a cup of tea, I didn't tell her this because I didn't want her to think I was mental. <laughs> But like, I would just be like on fucking high alert the whole time she was drinking this cup of yeah. tea. And then when she finished the cup of tea, I know I've only got a 30 second window of relaxation <laughs> before she decides she fancies another one. Oh, mm. <laughs> I knew that that was mad, right? And obviously I know that you've got to be careful with hot But I knew that was mad. It still didn't help me in dealing with it. It still yeah. didn't make it feel any less real for me. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. such a... I think so many people go through that, that being in care of someone. It's, it's yeah. Did you, because you had to move, like, obviously out your house and go to the B&B. Did you have to move schools as well? Or did you yeah, stay I moved in the school, same? So I, was, I was a, so I was at a really nice school. And, um, and then everything happened very, very quickly. So basically, my mum found out that my dad was, had been seeing another woman quite regularly. My dad was a bit of a, he used to sleep around a lot, but he'd, he'd ended up having a relationship with one particular woman. My mom found out about it. And so their relationship, you know, my dad, the, the plan was apparently that my dad was going to leave us and, and, and go and live with this, with this other woman. So my mom found all that out. And my mom had been in a very secure, she'd never really worked before. Right. She'd come over from Sri Lanka at 19. She was like not very independent, you know, and, and because she hadn't had to be. My dad was sort of looking after everything. And then suddenly her world was kind of like, was kind yeah. of thrown upside down. And then in the course of that, one day, we hadn't seen my dad for a couple of days. And so my mum said, I'm going to take you to this woman's house. Can you knock on the door and ask where your dad is, right? So, oh my God. Yeah. It's a nice so day It's like out. a real treat. We're not going to Thorpe Park. This is, this <laughs> oh is what it's like. How old were you then? I must have been like maybe 12, 11, oh 12, something God. like that. So, so anyway, so she, she takes me around to the house. I knock on the door and then I say, where's my dad? <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and sorry, oh, I don't mean to laugh. So awful. <laughs> it sounds insane as you say it. Just knock on the door. Can my dad come out to play? Yeah. Um, and then she said, "I oh, know he was arrested three days ago." Oh, and so my dad had been involved in some sort of fraud thing. That was a good question after all. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, I'm glad I came now. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right, cool. Um, yeah, and so he'd been, he'd been, he'd been involved in some sort of fraud. And then, oh, um, oh I mean, a bit like there'd been a police sting. He got taken away and he's been held in Leicester, which is where, where, where it all happened. And so anyway, the reason I'm telling all that, I'm going into way too much of this, but there's an <laughs> edit, great, isn't it? That's great, But um, And then I had to move, like, you know, all of that moving school, moving house, dad's in prison, all of that stuff happened, like, At super, super quick. such a time as well, like, on the brink of teenage. Yeah, like, it's it difficult time like anyway, isn't it? Time. Yeah, it yeah, really mad, yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to ch- all of that changed. But like, in a way, it was like, it's, I'd rather that, I guess, than it happened gradually. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it sort yeah, of yeah. felt like you get it all out of the way and then we, we press the reset button now and now we start again, you know. So what was the second school like? How did you get on Second there? school was still great. It was still great. It was like a, it was actually the school, I, 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 I ended up teaching at that same school. It's this, com- it's this comprehensive 
just near, just near our, well, it was actually the other side of town, but we had to find a place because in the middle of the academic year or whatever. And so um, settling in there, to be honest with you, it felt amazing because nobody knew what my back, nobody knew that yeah, I, this was a result of, of, of things falling apart. So yeah. I just turned up, I was just a new boy. Being a new boy at school gives you, like, you know, everybody's interested in you. And suddenly I was able to, like, do, like, a almost like a makeover of my own design, do you know what I mean? Yep. Where I could just be whoever I wanted to be, you know? And so, to be honest with you, it really, going through that process, school became such an important thing to me as a kid because I wasn't at home. Like, yeah, I actually found it a break to be away from home, do you know what I mean? I actually was like, wanted more school. I'd love it yeah. if they did it at weekends, do you know what I mean? It was like, I was so... To get away. To get away, yeah, because it was such a sense of stability and... Yeah. I made mates there and stuff like that. It was so great. And I feel sorry. I really feel sorry for my mum when I think about it now because it must have been horrendous to go through that and then yeah. have your kids kind of wanna not want to be at home. Do you know what I mean? So how was school for you in terms of, like, were you academic? I take it you were because obviously you went on to be a well, I was, math teacher. Well, I was... Was it maths? Yeah. It was maths, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was academic to a degree, but I didn't apply myself at all. So like, every single report said, if Ramesh bothered, he could <laughs> do something, do you know what I mean? But I just didn't give a shit. And, and I was going for the social, really. And so I, I, so I didn't really do any work. It was weird. I was sort of like battling two sides of it because my parents, not so much my dad, but my mum was very traditional Asian. You work your ass off. That's the reason we came to this country is so that you can make something of yourself. And so I had, I still had that sort of drilled into me, but at the same time I was having such, you're having such a shit time of it. You just sort of think, what's the point? I just want to yeah. have fun. Do you know what I mean? And so I didn't really apply myself at all. And so I did just enough to get to the next stage. So like I did just well enough in my GCSEs to get to do A-levels and I just did just well enough in my A-levels to go to uni. Yeah. But I was properly like doing the absolute bare minimum. And every now and again, I remember just panicking when somebody said, oh, you are going to fail. And then I'd do, I would do like an evening of work or like, you know, do, like for a couple of days, I'd be like re-motivated to try and do something. But I was, I was a yeah, nightmare. You, still, you must be bright though, because I'm not academic at all. And when I was told I was going to fail, I just failed. <laughs> I got a double E in science. Yeah. I'll never well forget done. that. Dual science, yeah. You touched on this a little bit before, but obviously you're a dad yourself yeah. now. How how does your kids' childhood differ from yours, do you think? Because obviously they're now living with you, having a, a level of success and probably living a diff slightly different life to the one you led as a Yeah, I, I worry about it a lot, to be honest with you, because like... Um... I did just say, they just got everything, these kids. Oh, no. I mean, it's so weird because you sort of like, you're striving to be in a position where you can give your kids everything they need. But I just think, I just, I've talked about it on stage before, I just look at them and I think, oh God, what are you <laughs> going to become? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I just want them to have a bit of fire in their bellies or whatever. When I was growing up, I remember thinking, I didn't think about having kids, but you just sort of think, when you do come to a point where you're having kids, you're thinking, I don't want my kids to, it's a cliche, isn't it? I don't want my kids to have gone through what I went through yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so let's give, let's, let's make sure that they, they don't want for anything. And so you have that. But then the other thing is now I find myself thinking, well, some things I want them to, I just, I just don't want to give them all of this stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then like, I'm mates with Rob Beckett and Rob Beckett was saying to me, just because they've got it easier and they're getting stuff. It doesn't make them bad kids. I know you immediately start thinking they're going to be spoiled and whatever. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, they do behave in a spoiled way. 
Like, I'm, like one of my, one of ours for, in particular, he's constantly saying, oh my God, this is so unfair. I can't believe my life. I said to him, you have got, you need to <laughs> yeah, stop mate. there, mate. You need to stop there, mate. You have got no right to even finish <laughs> that sentence, right? I said, you, do you know what? I can't even think about what top percent of the world's children you're existing in right now. Do you know what I mean? You, you cannot even begin to talk like this. And so that sometimes worries me, you know, but those worries are infinitesimal compared to the worries I'd have if I wasn't able to, to give them yeah, what I did, if I wasn't exactly, able to yeah. support them in the way that we can do. And, you know, if they've got an interest in something, we are able, we are able to make, to, to let them try that out. We, we, we've got the luxury of being able to go, okay, well, let's see how you get on with that. Do you know what I mean? And the, and the, the condition we make is that if you do decide you want to do something, like whether that be football or theatre or whatever it is, you've got to apply yourself to that like 100%, mm. you know. But, do you try um, and instill in them like working class values or what your what you feel is working class? Um you do try like we, we have tried but the truth is sometimes you just can't be asked do you know what I mean like, like, that's the honest truth of it <laughs> I know do you know well, what I mean like, work. Yeah, work so, they, they've got they've got so much shit right like so much shit and and I said to Lisa I said like we got to we've got to do something about this these kids have got so much stuff and we started and, and a lot of the stuff they don't even use anymore right so we went through this phase of like going to them, we are going to choose some toys that you don't play with anymore, you don't want anymore, and we are going to go, you're going to come with us to like, a, to, to somewhere to, to hand these toys yeah, over, yeah. whether that be a hospital or like a, a, a you know, a shelter, whatever. And then after a while you just go, can I be bothered to do this or shall I just take the toys myself and they probably won't notice? Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's the truth of it. You know, <laughs> you want to instill these lessons into them and we, and we do talk about it a lot. You know, if you if I talk to my kids, which we do, and, and even like when we first had our children, Lisa and I were broke. Like when I started doing comedy, we were broke. Like and so, but the kids don't remember that. When you talk about that to them, you might as well be talking about fucking Henry the Eighth. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so. <laughs> They're like, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, we get it. You're writing a papyrus, yeah, and you know all that shit. They don't give a shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. so I don't want to. So you don't want to be like that. So you just, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult one, you know. But I'd rather be, I'd rather it be like this than the other way. Oh know? my god, of course. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me. Because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, right, you, you've, you've gone to uni and then you become a teacher. Mm. When did the comedy start? How did that transition happen? Well, I'd always, um, always loved comedy and grown up with it. And when we were kids, one of the things that we used to do was always used to go down to the video shop and we'd have a choice of what to get. And like my, we, all, we all chose comedies. And I started getting really into stand-up and, um, from when I was a kid. And in fact, I did a gig when I was nine at Pontins Holiday Camp, right? They did a they had a talent show there, and I entered as a stand-up, and I did all stolen jokes from this joke book I had at the time. But <laughs> I, I really loved it. I really loved it. And so then I became a teacher. And to be honest with you, teaching was my first job that I felt I actually enjoy this over and above the paycheck. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, like, yeah. I, like I'd done a really short-term job in pensions, and then I worked at a airline caterers, like doing the costings for them. And I hated, like I hated it. And so teaching was the first job that I'd really kind of thought, I actually really love this. I, I think even if I was paid half of what I'm being paid, I'd still do it. Like I really, really did enjoy it. And then I thought, well, now I feel like settled in that regard. Let me have a go at stand up. You know, let me see how, see how I get on. And so I just started gigging. I just like, I, I didn't know about the open mic circuit, you know, where you go and do like, you go in yeah. the back of a pub and get you're playing. Five, yeah, yeah, all of that. All of that. Yeah, I didn't, know any, I didn't know anything about that. So I just started blagging my way onto gigs and stuff. And, and then I started gigging in Brighton because that's like half an hour from my house. And, um, and I started gigging there loads and loads and loads. And then just gradually, people that I was gigging for started saying to me, oh, you know, you could probably do this. You could do this as a, as a job if you, re- if you really wanted to. And I still wasn't sure because it just, I, was really, I wasn't not enjoying teaching. And then I remember like doing, I did a comp- competition called Say You Think You're Funny. And... Um, they do the fi- semi-final and the final in Edinburgh. And the semi- That's right, yeah. yeah, and the semi-final, one person goes through from each semi-final and then they go to the final. And I, and I did the semi-final, got through to the final. And that night of the semi-final, one of the judges came up to me and he said, the reason we put you through is that you walked on and we just thought you looked like you are going to be a comic. You just looked <laughs> like a comic. And so that was the first time I thought, oh, shit, maybe I could actually do this. And then from then on, I started did you doing win it? a job. No. I, who won that year? James Kirk, Scottish comedian. Oh, okay. Is he still uh, going? Yeah, he's still going, yeah. He, yeah, he but look at you now. Has he yeah, got a BAFTA? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. you never tried out comedy at uni or anything? I thought maybe... No. I, do you know what I tried out at uni is uh, I tried to become a rapper at uni. Oh, right. my God, <laughs> I wanted to talk about this. <laughs> Because obviously I've obviously. been on the old Wikipedia. Yeah. And it, yeah. didn't you reach the finals of like, um, what was it, like a, a rapper's Battle comp- Scars. Yeah, I did, yeah. So so basically there's this... This is amazing. So he I, loves, you loved it, all that though, I don't love you? It, like, I love it. Like, I, I love hip hop so much. Hip hop, yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically there's this magazine called Hip Hop Connection, which <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, they don't run it anymore. It finished years and years ago. But 
they had a thing like it's like a class like a hip-hop classifiers and one of the things said if you think you can freestyle send a tape in and you can you'd be able to take part in a battle so i was like oh okay so i sent in this tape of me just like <laughs> just can recorded you remember it. it i do remember it actually it was something like it was really bad it was like <laughs> i remember the opening line being i bring the butter <laughs> it's already it's already a winner yeah. I bring the butter, you know this ain't the margarine. I'm quick to clean up the scene like my name was MC Window Lean. That was like... <laughs> <laughs> right, so so I remember sending that I remember sending that tape in. Oh and a guy got in God. touch with me and said, come to the competition. So is it the Scala? You know the Scala in King's Cross? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was like this, it was, oh it was called Battle Scars. I think it's like, I think it then became Jump Off, and that was the big one. That's like Battle Scars wasn't massive, but Jump Off, everybody who's into so, hip hop. But it's freestyle, right? So you can't so, plan it. You've got to like no, just but, but you come can, back at the other well, dude that's doing it with you. Is it that sort of thing? Basically, it's yeah. like eight. It's eight mile, but they but yeah. they kind yeah. of they kind of they kind of added elements to it. So the first <laughs> one you come on and you just freestyle, and nobody was freestyling. They had a prepared yeah. thing. Yeah, right? yeah. And then the second one, it was just like eight mile. The third one, and basically what happened was I was like greasing the Euros. I kept just getting really easy draws. Like the people that, <laughs> but the people I kept coming up against were just like dreadful. Do you know what I mean? And so just by dint of the fact I could hold the microphone properly, I was able to go through. And I you mean, could rhyme margarine with windowless. Exactly. Which, goes, yeah, which nobody else, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, nobody else in the industry was doing at that time. <laughs> or since. Um, but um, I remember like the, the, the next round was you had to, they had a full band on stage and you had to give them the beat. So like you would go to the drummer, can you go, and then he would start doing that. And then you go to the bassist, can you go, and then he would start doing that. And then so you'd create this absolutely shit beat. If we did that now, could you do something? Could you freestyle something? I mean, I won't be doing the beat, just to be clear. You'll have to do You do do you hate me for asking? I don't hate you for asking. I just, I just don't think this would be usable. But we can try it. Let's try can it. We? Let's do it. Yeah, go on. Okay, so I go. What am I doing? Okay, this is good. I'm MC Ranger here with a banger on the podcast, talking pure class. Understand? You can kiss my ass if you think I give a ass. That's Oh, Sam Klaus. We've got oh, it all on here. That's it. That's the intro to the whole series. I started rapping and couldn't have wanted to have bought more quickly from that. I got Do you know what? Up. We've been trying to get like a jingle for this podcast. And I think and that might is. be it. There it is. Right there. Amazing. Um, yeah. Anyway, so then I got to the final of that. But by the time I got to the final, it was three of us. The two other guys were actually really good. Yeah. And and so I basically got my ass handed to me like big t- like it was. Re- I remember like you remember Eight Mile where they're like doing choke across it like they were yeah, doing like, all he's that gone, to he's me. Gone. Yeah. You're dead. You're dead, bruv. You're dead. You just got done. You're shit. Get him off. Get like people just shouting that at me. Oh my god. And it was so bad that I was there with some friends and they not even in a piss takey way asked if they could leave separately because oh. because I was getting like just yeah. people were just like I can't explain to you how hostile. A rap, that rap battle, it was crazy, man. Like, I was walking out just like with my head bowed. So like, like stand up comedies, <laughs> like a walk, whenever you oh, think, yeah, like, yeah. whenever you're stepping out to a big old stadium, shitting yourself, you think this can never be worse. Actually, that freestyle like, competition I was say, that like, I did. Make, like, stand up look like warm and cuddly. Oh, mate, there's no way <laughs> Jonglers on a Friday is going to be more scary than that. Do you know what I mean? So then you obviously think, right, oh, that's me and the rap world done. 
Did you? I retired. I, uh, retired, I, 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 didn't, yeah. I didn't have to make an announcement or anything. I just, <laughs> you I just were knew retired. We were done. We were done with that. Do you know what I mean? So it was over. And then what happened? So you decide, I know what will be easier, some stand-up. Yeah, well, I just I just went and started doing gigs and stuff. And um, the truth is, is like after I got to the finals, I didn't win Safe Think Funny, as I said, but then, then I started gigging a lot with a view to doing it full time. And then I'd spoken to my agent at the time and I, they'd said, you, you've got to go full time. Really. You're going to have to give up teaching if you really want to make a proper go at this. And then I said, all right. So we agreed that I was going to leave the Christmas of that year, which was 2011, I think. And then three days before I was due to leave school, my dad passed away suddenly of a heart attack. And so every fit, like, so then my mum was on her own. We had to just sort out everything with my mum. So then for the first few months of me being full-time, as a stand-up, I wasn't really doing anything. I was sort of just like trying to sort my mum out with her situation. And so it was just like a really bad start. So I had to kind of recover from that. So, um, yeah, and then it gradually sort of took off. Uh, to be honest with you, I was thinking of, I was going to give up stand-up because um, when we'd focused on what had happened to my mum, we were trying to, it turned out my dad's finances were like a massive house of cards and the house was in, uh, my, the house that mum and dad had been living in was under threat of being taken away and all this. And so we had to like sort all that out. And so then we just, I just stopped, I just wasn't getting any comedy work. And so we were totally broke. Do you know what I mean? And so, and it felt really bad because I was teaching and making a decent wedge. And then I'd basically thrown it away on what I felt was like a vanity project. Do you know what I mean? And I remember like, I couldn't afford to pay, we couldn't afford to pay the road tax on the car that Mm -hmm. we had at the time. And I was owed some money from a gig like shortly. And I said to Lisa, let's just wait. I'll get this money in and we just have to go without road tax for a, for a few days mm-hmm. and then like it'll be fine. And then the car got impounded and taken away. And so I phoned him up and I said, um, can I just like, ask how I get the car back? And he said, it's like a 500 quid fine. Mm-hmm. And every day we have it, it's another 150 quid. And I said, oh. thank you very much. Enjoy the car. And, and, then, <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, I was like, and then like, I remember putting the phone down and I said to Lisa, we don't have a car anymore. And... She was so cool about like I could tell in her eyes that she was like, oh my God. But she never told me, I don't think you should do this anymore. She never said, what are we going to do? It was like amazing. But we were broke for like, you know, that was, and I think that partly fuels the imposter syndrome as well, because you sort of think, we, I've been for a period relatively recently of being completely broke, do you know what I mean? So We speak about that a lot, don't we? Yeah, we. Uh, it's like that. You know, talking about when you're going to jump off, you know, like, am I going to leave my normal job? Yeah. Say normal, you know what I mean? Am I going to leave this job to do it? Because there's always that worry. Like you said, like with the, you said, you know, doing loads of work because there's always that constant worry that it's going to stop. And also presumably in comedy as well, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, privileged folk that, you know, can just do their comedy and be supported because, you know, they come from a privileged background. and, and And that, you know, that can also help someone's success rate move faster because they've got time to keep concentrating mm. on that. And But it is that moment of going, do I, should I, should I stop the teaching now? Yeah. Do, I, do I jump off? But I don't think I you can't... ever, like, outgrow that. No. Is I... it a work ethic? I don't know if it's a work ethic. I think I, I was just go, oh, yeah, I've got a working class work ethic. But I think I've just got a financially unstable work ethic. Yeah, like, yeah. sometimes, especially theatre is very, very middle class as, a, as an occupation. People often go, why did you take that job? You know, because... I work as a theatre director. If I don't work as a theatre director, I will have to work 
as something else. Yeah. And I would rather work as a theatre director. You know, I don't have that privilege of only doing three Being shows selected. a year. No, yeah. And going, yeah. In between those three shows, I will just sit around and imagine projects. Like, I don't... <laughs> I've never had that. Yeah. I've been very privileged in that I got offered enough work to continually work as a theatre director. But I could never be strategic in that way. I feel like I always take too much work. Yeah. And I think it's that thing of thinking, if I don't, I don't have anything else to fall back on yeah. financially. I've yeah. just got to... Well, Keep going. I think once you do that, you just carry on doing that. It's in your bones, isn't I, it? I too? think so. I think you, you can't shake that. And I think you hit on a really good point there as well, is that you think that comedy or acting or anything like that has no barriers to entry, but it's absolutely not the case because, no. you know, you look at, I look at, you know, when you work in TV and you see people that work as runners, we, you know, if you're gigging, like when I was gigging, the first two years that I was gigging, you lose money because... Yeah. You're paying to get there and you don't get paid for the gig. And you're yep. just trying to try out in the hope that they go, come back and do paid work for us. So that's why we and were And presumably you're gigging, you've just done a full day's work yeah, exactly. as well. Yeah, you're yeah, fucking yeah. exhausted. You're yeah. not really concentrating on your material like you should have done probably if you've totally. had all day thinking about it. There was there was like a long period where I was being a, a shit teacher and a shit comic. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. you, you know, full time. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. And so like, it's a really interesting thing where people sort of go well you just gig and gig and you don't make any money you go yeah but not everybody's got that and like not everybody can do that do you know what I mean it's like you know I was I was lucky enough that my mum was in a situation where I didn't have to keep you know I didn't have to give her loads of money but there are some people that not only are they providing for themselves they've got to give money to their family and like you know there's all these other things there's dependence like over and above their immediate situation so the idea that there aren't barriers to entry is a fallacy do you know what I mean and that's why I think you know trying to get to a point where without getting too sort of preach about it, but getting to a point where you can help people like that who who could be good, but just don't have the facility to go, I'm going to work and make nothing for a year or two years. Those systems aren't properly in place yet, I think. You know, we're moving in the right yeah, direction, not, but I don't yeah. think it's right. And and I think you're absolutely right. When I started doing stand-up, like, you're, you're it's a gig mentality, it's a hustle mentality. I'll do this anywhere. I'll go to Loughborough for nothing. If that yeah. means that you might give me yeah. some work in six months, I'll go do that. And when you get to a point where you go... And now am I supposed to switch out of that mindset and like and and like be like you can come to me or whatever? I can't, you know, it's it's difficult to be like that. Only in the last year and a half, I stopped teaching. So I teach at drama school. Yeah, I mean, that and is actually, amazing. kind of COVID forced that a bit. Right. And the thing is, I didn't really need to. I could have probably got away with the last couple of years, three mm. years, not teaching on the side. But I was just so terrified that I wouldn't get another series of King Gary yeah, say yeah. or that's going to stop and it's I still have that now you know I still I'm like oh I'm, I'm just being an actress yeah. it's like yeah Laura you're 41 fucking enjoy it like <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, you've yeah. earned it yeah, do you know what I mean totally and I think like another thing that fuels that fear is the fact that there are gatekeepers and other people oh, who are in 100%. control of whether your opportunities come up and I think that's part of the thing of like why I'm so obsessed with creating shows and you know and sort of trying to generate things you sort of want to feel like I'm not beholden to being flavor of the month or, 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 you know, being hot at the moment or being the person that, because you sort of want, you want to kind of insulate yourself from that. But the truth is we're in a thing where, look, I don't think comedy is anywhere near as difficult as acting in terms of how emotionally and mentally robust you have to be to do it. Because in comedy, I can just keep gigging and yes, I might die on my ass, but I can then do a gig tomorrow night. And, an and try and get, always. yeah, yeah I, get, I, get I, I have auditioned a few times for things and <laughs> The, the absolute spiral into fucking misery and self-reflection <laughs> yeah. that came off the back of not getting something. And that was one thing that I was doing as an over and above comedy. Other thing, yeah. If that is the thing that you have to do, you know, I, I've talked to Tom about it. 
you know, just day in, day out, you're putting, you're getting yourself up again. Here we go again. Do you know what I mean? And do it like, <laughs> fuck that. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I talking can't... to Laura about that. My dad's 74. He's been an actor since he was three. Right. And yesterday, he was on a holiday in Bournemouth with my mum. Yesterday, he got up, came all the way into town to do an audition. He spent all week preparing for nervous, anxious, yeah. went, oh, I didn't quite do my best because I'd been on the track. I think 74. Yeah. And he's still doing that, you know, he's still yeah. week on week going in and doing that and putting himself out there like that, which is kind of amazing as well. Yeah. But at the same time, that it is a lot, isn't it, to yeah. keep that going. And then, the, and then to have the energy to like audition for something, you don't get it, and then not wanting everything about that project to fail as a result. <laughs> I'm coming at this from a place of privilege now as well, as we all are. Yes, absolutely. I still feel very inherently working class. I'm drawn to working class people. I gravitate towards them. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I am I, I still feel so working class, even though I can't technically say I am. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm privileged. I've got a yeah. mortgage. I own my own property. Do you still feel that? Do you still feel working class at your roots? Well, it's a difficult question, yeah. I know. The, the thing that we, Lisa and I, have noticed is... I can't find a level of thing that I feel comfortable at now. Oh and my it's very God, I was having this conversation It's the other very day. difficult to explain, but like, say, for example, you go, I don't know, say, for example, we decide we're going to splash out and go somewhere really nice, right? So for one weekend, we went to like a really nice hotel, took the kids, like it's proper, like, like super luxury, you know, blah, blah. And it was really nice, but I, we, we went and sat in the restaurant I something didn't feel right about it. I don't know how to explain it. I felt like yeah. I'd broken in. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what I mean? And yeah, like, yeah. I, I enjoyed the food and everything. There, the food yeah. was amazing. Everything about it was great. The staff were great. They didn't do anything. It wasn't like me walking into a designer shop like Julia Roberts. It wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. It was like, they were all lovely. It was great. But I just said to Lisa, I feel like we've got ourselves in a situation now where we've fallen into this like gap now where, the, yeah. you know, there's some places where, you, you, you sort of don't feel out of place, but at the same time you think, I want to go somewhere nicer than this. And then, yeah. and then, do you know what I mean? And then you yeah. go somewhere nice and you go, I don't feel comfortable here. I don't feel like I fit in here. And so it's like, I think there needs to open up some sort of set of resorts and hotels and things like that that are just for imposters. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody there, just I'm walking around. Everybody just walking around going, this is mad, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, really mad. I always think at its best... If you're feeling really good, you feel like you fit in everywhere. Yeah. I'm like, when I'm feeling really good, mm. I think, yeah, I actually feel like I fit in everywhere. I genuinely can go out and have an amazing time sat with Laura in the KFC. Yeah. And honestly, we will have a lovely, lovely time, a proper laugh, and we can do equally the same thing like sat in the ivy. We'd have exactly the same time. And then at your worst, you don't fit anywhere. Yeah. That's personally, I feel like, oh, God, I can get to theatre press nights and think, oh, even when I'm the director, I think, oh, God, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong bar. Yeah. Um, if you're just not in the, you know, depending on And it shouldn't be like feel. that, ultimately. Yeah. Is that's how it should be everyone should be welcome everywhere but we live in a country where class is so still very much a thing I, yeah. I, do, I do I do think it's a perception thing it's an inbuilt thing that actually reduces that can actually affect your opportunities like one, one of the things that we had is like I was head of sixth form at the, the school I taught at and it's a comprehensive school and we had top achieving kids at A level and they weren't getting into Oxbridge. And we looked into it. And the reason was is because they didn't know how to present themselves in interview in, yeah. in the same way that kids from private school could. So there's a way, there's a culture of talking about academics. There's a culture of 
of being confident in yourself, right? That, that, that means that you carry yourself in a different way. You talk aspirationally in a different way. Totally. And so what we're having with, we're having kids at the same predicted A-level grades as those totally. types of kids, but they would just not be able to, to put that across in an interview situation, yeah. you know? And so they were not getting in. And you sort of think, get to a point where, yeah, it's one thing to go, I feel a bit out of place. It's another thing to go, I don't get this thing. To even get in the to place. To get in the place because yeah. of yeah. how you carry yourself. And it's like, and I know our job is doing the job or whatever, but there's other aspects to our job, which is turning up to press launches, mm. which is networking, which is yeah. like being in interviews and stuff like that, all of that sort of thing that actually also affects your opportunities and also yes, affects yeah. how these things come across. And those are things where sometimes you just don't have that in built. You know, I, I remember like walking into like, I walk into like a meeting in a BBC or something. And I, listen, I know everyone shits themselves when, th when things like that happen. But part of you just thinks, oh my God, do they know? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, if they just come in to go, listen, mate, we know you <laughs> don't belong. Like, if you go, we're not going to tell anyone. Yeah. But just disappear. You know, like, I think that feeling uncomfortable, I can be all right with. I think that that sort of thing worries me a bit. You know, from, you know, I still have a passion for like education and like giving kids opportunities yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. And that sort of thing frightens me because I think you have done everything you need to do. You and know, still, and agreed. still you're not making the final hurdle because of just how you've been brought up or, you know, low aspirations or whatever. You know, it's difficult. The system is in place for to keep us all where we should stay or where they think we should stay. Yeah, I think that's still right. true. So we've celebrated you, your career and your life. But each week we ask our guests who they'd like to celebrate someone in their life or someone that's been important to them along the way. Who would you like to celebrate today? Well... Before I, t I talk about, basically, my, the person I like to celebrate is my mum. But before I go into that, I just want to say, Lisa, my wife, I love you very much and you've been very important. Um, but the, the, well done, well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank good. you. Cause, um, but we won't the, edit that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, look, the truth is that like, my mum, you know, when we went through all that, like, you know, I've talked about a lot what my mum went through. Like, you know, my mum went from a position of not having a job to, be, like, to, to being a cleaner, to becoming a cleaner, to just sort of help us and she pretty much raised us single-handedly for a long time and you know and she uh did all of that and she was an incredibly resilient character and so now that you know we sort of we're in a position where we've come out the other side of it she is like my hero do you know what I mean like yeah. I, I think that she went through so much and she constantly told me and my brother that we can be anything we want to be you know and look fundamentally that's not true but it, it gives you that it gives you the self-belief yeah to like to try still, do you know what I mean? And she she has done so much for me and my brother, and we absolutely wouldn't be anywhere near where we are if it wasn't for her. And the idea of like someone coming from Sri Lanka at nineteen years old, never having worked, she's come over for her husband. Her husband works, and then she finds out that that is completely false because he was going to leave to go and live with another family so suddenly she's in a situation where she's got to bring up these two children without an income coming in because her husband's gone do you know what I mean like all of that stuff for her to go through that in the way that she has done you know how could she not be a hero to me do you know what I mean she's uh she's incredible and look, look I'll be absolutely honest with you she pisses me off now do you know what I mean like you've got to work regularly. with her now <laughs> yeah I've got to work with her now and she's constantly saying things like you look fat on that show and blah 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 <laughs> and if I'm not going to tell you who's going to tell you and all that sort of stuff and I do, and we do we do bicker, but she's amazing. She's amazing. What's your mum's full name? What's it? Shanti Ranganathan. Siva Shantani actually is her full name. So we'll be celebrating her today. Romesh, thank you so much. Thank you like, so so much. Been amazing. Thanks for having me. I've I just adore you, and I oh, think you're shit, incredible, babe. honestly, mate. And I'm so so chuffed about with all your success. I'm really chuffed for you. Oh well, the feeling's mutual. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Mate. Thank you so thank much. You. 
Well, that was amazing, wasn't it? I absolutely loved that. How are you doing over there? Because I know you can fangirl over him a little bit. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I think he's absolutely wonderful. It was amazing to meet him and he's uh, just as lovely as I hoped he would be. And just a really interesting story. You know, amazing story, exactly. Not actually being born into a working class environment but then losing everything and how that changed everything for him I know it's amazing isn't it and how it probably shaped him well that's it for this week guys just to say you can catch uh, Romesh hosting the new series of the brilliant The Ranga Nation on BBC2 in the autumn and you can listen now to his Radio 2 series For the Love of Hip Hop available on BBC Sounds he also has a regular podcast with Tom Davis called The Wolf and Hour Podcast and also his excellent book As Good As It Gets is out now and you can catch him on tour from now until June next year. The dates are all available on his website. I mean, does he ever go home? I'm off to book now. The Proper Class Podcast is produced by Michelle Farr-Scott for Rangaby Productions, edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music. This episode was recorded at the Umbrella Rooms. Cheers, Ben. If you want to find out more about Hannah and Laura and why they wanted to do the Proper Class podcast, check out the bonus episode available now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.